Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, police turn against media covering the US riots with Australian crews arrested. Is Channel 7 going to drop the Olympics? News reports say the network is willing to lose the games to save costs. And the executive producer who's been earmarked for big things. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello, I'm Rob McNutt and welcome to TV Black Box. (laughs) Sorry, there was some shenanigans going on during the opener. You can find me at Rob underscore McNutt on social media. Sarah Monaghan, she comes to us every week from a ship in America. Where are you this week, Shrimp Tank? Well, we are uh, just a couple miles north of Mar-a-Lago, so we are in the middle of that shit show of protests and uh, helicopters <laughs> and gunboats racing up and down the like the intercoastal. The great thing is, at least you can just sail away from it all if it really does come down to that. Yeah, yeah, as long as the weather's good. <laughs> hey, the viewers advocate Steve Mulk is here. You can find him at Steve Mulk on Twitter. Hello, Mulky. Uh, hello, Rob. Hello, everyone. And breaking news, you'll hear it first exclusively on the TV Black Box podcast. Um, I got my hair cut and I got a nipple ring. <gasps> what? Show us. No, I didn't. Oh. Only one of those things are true. Trust me, my <laughs> wife hair- listens. <laughs> the <laughs> haircut is true. Go, <gasps> exactly what you guys did. I just couldn't fathom such a thing. You can get the little fake ones you can put on there. Have you been thinking about it? Oh, God, he's rubbing his nipples. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Um, Look, I only have one piercing on my body, and that's an ear. Oh, Um, thank God. I'm not game enough to have anything else. I'm soft. I'm weak. This week's uh, Twitter (laughs) poll is what have you had pierced on your body? Let us know at blah, 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 blah. So many great options. (laughs) Benjamin J. Norris is his name on Twitter. Hello, Ben. Hi, guys. Very excited to be here. And uh, feedback I got from last week's episode, so I thought I'd just keep people updated, mm-hmm. is uh, stop sucking off Brookie through the, through the show. So apparently people Amazing. people think that I've been, like, clamouring to you, like trying to, like, ask you secret questions and act like the host. And I was well, like... Well, you do stalk his Instagram. Every day, mm. every day, every day, every but don't day. don't we all? For the day. record, oh, <laughs> you're in Melbourne. I'm in the People's Republic of Erskineville. Yeah, that's true. I've never sucked you off, just for the We've record. Never. Oh, no, okay. no, hey, no. Whoa, we... whoa, let's keep this family friendly. And Ben, what do you have pierced? I don't have anything pierced. Actually, my mum took me once to a chemist and was like, this one will get an ear pierced, uh, one of his yeah. ears pierced. And she thought that it would stop the kids, other kids at school picking on me for being gay if I had... My... <laughs> <laughs> this, this is ridiculous. This is a true story, and it's and I. Thanks, mum. And then the 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 he mum says to this guy, you know, he's really nervous, so he'll say he doesn't want it. And I was like, 
no, I don't want this thing. Anyway, <laughs> I had my ear pierced for 24 hours and it only made the kids at school want to bash me more. So, yay. Sure. I yeah. let a girl pierce my ear with a needle and an ice block <gasps> because, well, why do you think I did it? You loved her. <laughs> well, I don't know about love. I lost it after her. <laughs> sure. Well, you loved her in the sense that you let her do that to you. Yes. So. Did this happen in drama club? <laughs> <laughs> video night. There's someone the we have. Night. There's someone we've forgotten to mention. Well, we haven't forgotten. We're just let it, leaving the best till last. Ben and hasn't this forgotten. week, I know the viewers <laughs> always want to know what he's wearing. How's yeah, that? let's so say I, I am taking this over because <laughs> oh, come on, I'm the only one I trust to give a true and accurate description. I'm wearing a pair of tracky dacks. Mm. And a flannelette shirt I bought at Lowe's. See, this is right. the thing. You can say that, but you're not actually wearing that. You seem to have... I am wearing um, a flannelette shirt. No, you're that. topless with ni- with oh, tassels over your okay. nipples. Right. Oh, move, move on. on. <laughs> move on. Rookie, to try and move this on in some form of, you know, gendered order, um, what have you got pissed? Nothing, obviously. <laughs> what? And, obviously. How can I tell underneath that plaid shirt that you're wearing? Oh, Mulk, you gave it away. All right. There's plenty coming up in this edition of TV Black Box. So let's begin with some serious news and the riots in the US, where it appears no one is safe, not even the media. Variety, the nine networks, CNN and Reuters are reporting that journalists are being targeted by law enforcement while broadcasting from the riots. A CNN reporter was arrested live on air. That reporter was later released without any charges. But a Reuters reporter was not so lucky when he says he was deliberately targeted and fired at with rubber bullets. Tim Arvia, a journalist with Nine News, was also detained but released soon after his arrest. Brookie, is this the result of the fake news narrative that's being applied to legitimate media? We are having reporters clearly identified being arrested by the police. Yeah, I think the temperature's gone way up. Donald Trump has had a lot to do with that. He has, as part of his election campaign, had mass rallies where he attacked journalists, some of whom were present and got shouted at by the crowd. So I think it's a natural extension of that. A lot of these incidents involving journalists have come at the hands of the police. The accusations are that they've turned a blind eye to the fact that these people were obviously journalists had camera crews following them so there might be an attempt at stopping the message getting out perhaps stopping the filming of some scenes that show the police in the bad light let's not forget that the entire how stupid are the police everything's going out live nothing's being recorded and turned around you don't even need uh traditional say in inverted commas professional journalists do you because Mm -hmm. anyone's got a camera phone and that is in fact how this scandal kicked off because that footage was taken by a bystander showing police brutality. So clearly the temperature has been turned up uh, way past uh, boiling point. And I do also think the coronavirus and all the tensions associated with that have fed into what is happening in America right this minute. The, the overwhelming... The, the overwhelming thing that we're seeing in the footage, really, isn't it, is, like, on one hand, just either people peacefully protesting, crazy shit going on on the streets, you know, inter- people interacting with the police or other people, looting, rioting, all of that sort of stuff, stuff burning. And then it's almost like, and if you spun the camera the other way, 
there's half as many people again with camera phones with the flash or the light on filming stuff like there is just i know that they've been around for other rights before but it seems that uh, protests before this one more than ever everybody is being a citizen journalist and recording or reporting or doing some even just you know live streaming for their instagram or, or tiktok you mm. know followers it's crazy to see what is going on and absolutely outrageous that journalists who are you know standing away from the action standing where they're told to stand keeping out of the way trying not to get um particularly in the midst of it because they are a trying to report what's going on and b understand that tensions are crazy uh and to have as was the case for Omar Jimenez from CNN he's reporting live and the police telling him to move back and he's saying not a problem officer just tell mm. us where to go and we will go there they never said a word and he's, so he's standing his ground. He wasn't confronting them or advancing on them. Uh, and then just cops came up and arrested him. The camera rolled the whole time, including when his Saudi producer and cameraman were arrested. The camera was broadcasting live from the police car trunk. And then when they got the, the, the camera again after being released, it was still rolling. Well, that's the ability of the live uh, with these cameras now. They literally broadcast over the internet so the pictures are available. Sarah, you live in the US. Um, What has the media coverage been like? It's ramped up, I imagine, in the last few days. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's just been hopped up from coronavirus. We've finally been allowed to start going out again. So the last couple of nights we've been going out to restaurants. We saw the protests. We saw the ones in Miami that turned into an absolute shit show. And then Fort Lauderdale as well. West Palm had one on Saturday, but we were watching Twitter because a lot of the the people here still use Twitter. And they had complained that the one on Saturday, a lot of people were complaining that it it was too peaceful. Um, so they were like, you know, Sunday, we're going to amp it up. And, and there was a fight between two sections of people on Twitter because a lot of them were like, look, we want it to be peaceful. It's going to be from three to seven downtown, like in the area we always are. And so I said to Matt, like, if you want to have lunch, we'll go out, we'll have lunch, but we need to be out before then. And then we were watching it on Twitter and we had dinner at the the marina restaurant but we sat where we could see the main road because you can see them marching up the street if you need to and mm-hmm. you can see the 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 police boats behind us so situational awareness we're watching twitter we saw they closed down the highway and then the local media when we got home we were watching that and also twitter and i actually saw the nine news feed but i didn't know where it was from but the local news were covering as the they said the police asked us to move back and then after the media moved back is when they started firing the rubber bullets. But it wasn't because they were trying to hide it. They just didn't want to shoot the journalists because they get along with them. Well, it's funny you say that, but Reuters um, have reported that the cameraman, uh, sorry, the reporter was behind the police. So the protesters were at the front. The police were in the middle. And then this reporter and his crew were behind the police. What city was that in, though? Oh, Good question, and I'm sorry I don't know the answer to that. Because I can only tell you what, like, we were literally seeing here. Yeah, I understand. And they they get along here because it is where Trump always is, so they try and get along well. And Palm Beach County Sheriff and police are some of the best funded in all of Florida, and they're very – I mean, they've got a lot of money, they've got a lot of equipment, and the SWAT teams were out, the helicopters were out, there was like five helicopters circling, there's like, you've got the Coast Guard, you've got the Sheriff, you've got police and water thing, and because Mar-a-Lago is on the water, 
so it's constant and then they had to at one point there's drawbridges to the island because you've got west palm yep. which is on the mainland and then you've yep. got palm, the town of palm beach which is the island and um i had said they could just raise the drawbridges because every time we go over to get our mail you have to go over a drawbridge because the boat's coming mm-hmm. through and at one mm. point they the protesters were walking down to go to mar-a-lago and they showed all the camera footage of all the people on the bridge and they pushed them back and they actually raised the bridges up so sure. that they couldn't get so over. So let's assume this wasn't there, and I, I, I apologise for not knowing where this actually took place, but that journalist said that, so they weren't with the protesters, the police were facing the other way, turned, saw the journalists, turned around and fired rubber bullets at this journalist's face. And they hurt. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So they then had to duck for cover behind cars to avoid being shot at by the police. This is outrageous. Ben, when did the media become public enemy number one? Well, I think it's a loaded question because we did discuss this on the Ben Robin Robbo show today and I think it's really fascinating listening to what Sarah has to say about how the rights are being covered in America. Uh, Just to fill everyone, get people up to speed on what I said today and that is that I'm still very sceptical of the news. Uh, I often see these short, sharp pieces of information of very emotive footage with the police in circumstances where they are categorically doing the wrong thing and when that is occurring, I absolutely have the same reaction as the general public that you know oh that's not okay but what we don't see in in footage in any medium is still a huge part of a story and so I just want people to keep their eyes and ears open with what they are seeing on the news because I don't quickly jump to the narrative which seems to be coming out faster and faster that these police officers are 100% being brutal towards everybody because that's where it's going. And I feel like there's so much going on in America at the moment that is making me so emotional and I just keep trying to rack my brains on what is supposed to happen to get out of this because right now I can't see how America is going to get out of this. And it was funny, someone asked me today after this debate on the Ben Robin Robbo show, they said, oh, your mate Sarah's over there. And I actually felt really – I felt – emotional again and then I only know one of one of you know someone I know over there and I just don't want to get to this point where we sensationalize individual small stories where there's this brutality because I genuinely want to believe that the police are trying to do the right thing to control what and I think on the majority they are Ben but that doesn't mean we can't tell these stories the Simple fact that that that, police are turning around and firing rubber bullets at journalists is outrageous. Clearly marked journalists. Just really quickly, though. Simply outrageous. I know, but you know what? I just need to quickly clarify that. You know, these days, the villain and the person who is wrong is so much looking like everybody else. It's so difficult to determine people that are good and that are people that are bad. And I highly doubt intelligent men are shooting rubber bullets at people that they consider 100% innocent. Maybe I'm Well, they did because the media were clearly identified. They had their big cameras. They had media written across their um, chests. This was a targeted attack by some police members. Let me just tell you something as an example, and this is the reason why the lines get uh, blurred, and that is that I worked – uh, with a news organisation for quite a while in a climate in the in Queensland where there were cyclones and the media loved everyone I worked with, the news reporters, people wanted a cyclone, they wanted uh, 
these they sensationalize things every day in front of me and maybe that whole notion of I wish a cyclone came so we can make it look really terrifying and scary maybe that has affected me but it definitely has kept my eyes open and I need to process what I'm seeing and I need to not jump to the narrative of saying that the police are doing the wrong thing and that's that was the big debate here because for for like for four hours there was perfectly peaceful protests the police and the and and the protesters met they had conversations they walked arm in arm down the street together they were together the police were protecting them on the highway making sure they didn't got you know hit by cars and there was this whole thing and everybody was tweeting out these pictures and videos and saying this is i want people to see this the fact that we are getting along there is a conversation but you know that there's going to be some people that come in later and they're talking about people are being bussed into cities to create chaos Mm-hmm. And like in other cities, people were flying in to purposely create chaos. So you've got all these thousands of people who are peacefully protesting and doing the right thing and having the conversation. And then come nine o'clock, there's a bunch of people who are coming in and using this situation to go loot the Louis Vuitton and the Target yeah, I mean, Walmart. I agree. Like, why are you breaking into a Walmart? Yeah. And then that's what they're filming. And they're saying, this is how the protests are. And so they're getting tired of the fact that they're like, look, this is not the protest. You need to back up. Because this isn't the protest. These are a bunch of like thugs. But that is happening, and that's in. newsworthy. And that this but element don't has insight. it as the protest because it's okay. not the protest. But yeah, that's exactly There's a couple right. of things I need to pick up on what Ben said. You're right, Ben. I didn't see the Reuters shooting. I'm going by what the journalist reported. I did see the CNN arrest. Why was a CNN crew who weren't doing anything arrested? Why was Tim Arvia from Nine News arrested? Tim Arvia has done a brilliant job over there. He did 15 minutes of compelling, uninterrupted television on the Today Show on Friday. That was seriously some of the best television I have seen where he followed the story. The story was breaking. A person was knifed. The police had to be smart about how they went in because they would have been overpowered. You know, like there were so many elements going on and he did such an amazing job. That guy is not doing anything wrong and yet got arrested. Now, if he had done something wrong and like the CNN crew, there would have been charges, but nothing could have stuck because they had the video proof. I'm not saying all police are bad. I'm absolutely not saying that. But for some reason, and whether it's because of the Trump narrative, journalists are being targeted who are simply think that. There. I think you're fear-mongering when you do this. Let me just talk to you about a really key really key word here that's really important about America right now, and that is fear. And let me tell you, good people, when they have fear inside them, do strange things. And I, I'm not fear-mongering where, when I'm using actual evidence to illustrate a point. That's not fear-mongering. That is talking about empirical fact. You, a U.S. U.S. You are simple. You are Rob. This is nothing of an. This I don't even want to get into an argument. You seem to be simplifying something down. And to me, as you do it to me, I feel like I need to expand it more because I want to keep my eyes open. I think that you are a brilliant man, and I think you're very clever. And I'm certainly not taking that away from you. But I hope that people listening to this podcast right now are thinking the same way that I am, and that is that we are keeping our eyes and ears open, and we're looking for a solution. We're not looking to we're not looking to create headlines to say that the police are doing the wrong thing because Sarah is absolutely correct and they are doing the wrong thing journalists should not be arrested we live in a free society journalists should not be arrested on the street just for reporting the news especially when they're not doing anything wrong and sorry I love you Ben but, you but that's patronising that. the way you just but spoke you, to me but you haven't seen that you haven't like unless there's 24 yes, hours we have, we have we, seen it we have. you've got to remember why we're in this mess 
the police blame journalists and journalism for getting the murder of George Floyd out there. Uh, mm. Police feel under siege. I think they've been overacting all over the place, not just against journalists, but with some of the arrests uh, when they tasered those two young women in the, sorry, that young black couple in the car mm. when the L, when the New York police drove through yes. the line Shocking of protesters. Scenes. So I think there has been, as Sarah has said, away from the cameras, uh, widespread civil protests and cooperation between police and protesters. But there are a lot of incidents where that has all gone horribly wrong and it's got to be reported on. But, Brookie, I just want to make something really clear, though, and I said this before I started, and I know I use a lot of words to say something very simple, but I did start this with saying that a lot of the brutality that I have seen has absolutely disturbed me and I'm saying that that is wrong and there are 100% circumstances that are accurately being told. I just don't want to get to the point where we're just saying this this narrative where it's like not letting us keep our eyes and ears open and that's simply what I'm saying. Ben, no one's arguing with that. We're all keeping our eyes and ears open. That's why we're talking about all these stories. But the simple fact is you can't tell me journalists haven't been targeted when I've witnessed it with my own eyes. I've seen the footage. That is happening. Whether you choose to believe it or not, it is happening. But can I also just say that journalists in particular especially when they're reporting war, and that's what America is in right now. They're in a civil war, and it is a very dangerous place to be. And for all of those people that are doing for their sure. jobs, for all those people that are doing their jobs well and that are in the line of fire, I, I my heart, I think for them. I, I pray for those people. I'm not even religious, and I think for their families. But those people are trying to do their jobs, and, I, and, I, and they're telling a story that is about a war that's going on. This is truly terrifying information. And just to end on a positive note, there were also fantastic scenes where people of all races came out and started cleaning up the streets after the rioting. So, you know, like mm. there are positive, good stories coming out of this. It isn't all negative and fear-mongering. All right. And full credit to the, the Aussie um, journos who are over there as correspondents mm-hmm. that are just giving us some cracking footage. Yes. All right. Media companies are liable for defamatory comments made on their Facebook pages. The Australian reports the New South Wales Court of Appeal has upheld a controversial ruling that pushes defamation law in Australia into uncharted territory. The judgment follows an appeal by the Sydney Morning Herald, The Australian, The Centralian Advocate and Sky News Australia after a court ruling in June found they were responsible for the content of third-party posts on their public Facebook pages. The three media organisations are being sued by Dylan Voller, a former inmate of the notorious Dondale Youth Detention Centre in Darwin, over 10 allegedly defamatory comments posted by third parties in three media organisations' Facebook pages. Sarah, I'm absolutely gobsmacked by this. It's really scary news for all media companies in this country. And it's not just media because, remember, they did it before uh, they told Darren Hinch that anything anyone posted on his was he was Mm. personally responsible for. And then on mine, it was like, you know, if someone posted kiddie porn on my public page, then I was responsible for it. So I think it's crap that you can have a public forum where you're not monitoring it 24-7 because I'm sleeping while, you know, people Mm. in Australia are posting Mm. on my page. And how am I responsible for what someone else does unless I have it set to... You can't comment and then I have to go through and vet all the comments, which pisses the public off because they don't like yeah. having their comments vetted before they're posted. Mm. I don't I think this is stupid. I don't think it's right that 
things from third parties should be responsible for what's on, on a public platform. I mean, that's like saying that anybody who posts a bill on a, you know, on a telegraph pole is, you know, that the, the, the telephone company is responsible for what somebody puts on there. It Must really be. is that bad, Sarah. And the entity that should be responsible, i.e. the platform Facebook, gets away with no liability whatsoever. And many people cannot control what is posted on their public uh, pages. They can't pre-moderate. So this stuff can go up there. And uh, it is the onus is squarely on the publisher, i.e. the media company, to take it down. They may well be taking this all the way to the high court to appeal this court of appeal ruling. Uh, it looks like media companies, which, as we know, are not very well resourced, are going to have to devote massive resources to these uh, Facebook pages, which is a great way for them to stir audience interest and get traffic to their sites, uh, because the defamation risks are going to be too great for them, or they'll just have to shut them down. Yeah, I mean, how many people are going to leave Facebook now because it's just too risky to be on there? A good point. And uh, you've got a whole other issue of malicious posting that uh, may well occur because people realise that these media companies are targets and create trouble for them in exactly the way that's been outlined. Mm. It throws some interesting shade into the conversation we're having last week, I think it was, about, um, you know, media companies dealing with Google and Facebook and who gets the money out of who and all of those sorts of things, uh, given that ostensibly what we're talking about here is, as an example, um, you know, news.com.au or, or Channel 9's um, Facebook pages, having people comment on them and leaving defamatory comments and news.com.au and, and, and 9 being responsible for you know the comments around that as one journalist uh, i saw tweeted about today this is the beginning of the end of comments um mm. if it goes down the path well, i think at the end of the day that's it's the evolution of digital media and that is that it is evolving so fast and so rapidly and can so easily you know spiral out of control it's going to need to be policed and things are going to need to change so you know it's one of those things where it's like it's disappointing that people can't just be sensible responsible human beings on digital on social media mm -hmm. like on these social platforms it's disappointing that they're going to ruin it for everyone but over the next few years we're absolutely going to see uh, an evolution and things changing i find it really difficult that the people who write them are not the people held accountable for the things that they say. 100%. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, Charlotte Dawson was absolutely fighting that, you know, up until her yep. last days. And I spent time with Charlotte at her house talking about it and accountability for people online. It was a problem in 2012 and that's eight years ago and we're going to need to find some way of being able to control that. There is absolutely. so much defamation on social media and it's very rare that people take action. And in this case, they're taking action... Uh, against the wrong entities, in my view. Mm -hmm. But the law is allowing, allowing them to do it. All right. In what will have journalism purists jumping for joy, Australia's 60 Minutes program is closing its checkbook. The Australian Reports Creek? 9 is dumping its talent budget amid <laughs> the largest cutbacks in the history of the current affairs... <laughs> Mulk, you are so bad here. Mulk is Sorry, so bad. Mulk. He's the one every week giving you shit because he's like, I don't like the sound effects. And then he, and then no, here that we was go. Him, that was him completely taking the piss of the TV platform sound effect. And I, I actually pay it very well. But look, the Australian reports 90 is dumping its talent budget amid, amid the largest cutbacks in the history of the flagship current affairs show. 
The paper says it understands that Nine Management has made the call to cut the budget for paid talent for 60 Minutes as part of a large funding cut to the program, which includes travel cameramen and other key staff, as network CEO Hugh Marks finds savings worth $100 million from its free-to-air television programming. Wow. Oh, Brookie, it's getting tough out there. It is getting tough, but the market for checkbook journalism has changed because key competitor Seven mm-hmm. no longer has mm. uh, a current affairs programs or a budget, so they're not competing for talent. Mm-hmm. I'm a long-standing critic of tre- checkbook journalism. I think it gets uh, current affairs programs into all sorts of yes. trouble. Uh, we've seen it early this year with that disgraceful Channel 7 program and oh. the West Coast Eagles former star Ben Cousins, who you know had a long history of drug abuse and it was revealed that money was paid to his lawyers for that show. And most recently, 60 Minutes interviewed NRL star Josh Reynolds' ex-girlfriend Arabella Del Busso Mm. uh, with a really odd story about how she had allegedly faked several pregnancies. Whole episode dedicated to it. Yeah, and uh, apparently she got a five-figure sum for that. I've got no problem if you are an expert and you're getting paid for your time to provide information, but these kind of checkbook journalism incidents, I think, just corrupt the whole Why? enterprise. Why? The, nine are going to make money from the people they put on 60 Minutes because they're interesting talent. They're theoretically going to draw ratings in and nine are going to make money from the advertising that goes into 60 minutes so why shouldn't the talent that's helping them achieve ratings be paid i've never understood the issue with checkbook journalism what is so wrong with it, it why shouldn't people get paid for telling their story and opening them up prize and who knows what goes on behind when the camera's off and uh, talent and producers are in conflict over what is being required of... I can tell you personally that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then if there's money... We there's do know. ...unequal power imbalance. Sarah? So, like, OK, I didn't do 60 Minutes. Um, uh, I did A Current Affair. Uh, and there I probably would not have gone on TV and told my story... Um, if I wasn't compensated for my time because it's a very personal thing and uh, it required a lot of, like I had to fly to Australia each time. It was, you know, it it wasn't just like a 30 minute, you know, interview. Like people look at a TV show and they're like, oh, well, it was a 20 minute interview. So it took 20 minutes. No, I had to fly 36 hours. I had to stay there. I had to do all this stuff. And then I had to bear my soul and then be subjected to, you know, copious amounts of the online trolling that we were just discussing where people put things all over my Facebook page. Um, um, so, you know, I kind of, you know, if I deserve to be paid for that because they're making a Absolutely. crap ton of money. They got, a, you know, nominated for a Walkley Award because of my story. So, you know, why shouldn't I get some compensation for that? Absolutely. Praise be. Mark, what did you want to say? And, and, and this is me trying to understand, you know, both sides of this perspective. I've got a very definite view. We'll get to that. But trying to understand both sides of, of the situation. Can I flip the script a little? If a prominent broadcast journalist has their own radio show and they read copy of an ad without saying that it's an ad, how is that any better or worse? Because you're not selling a product or service. Aren't you? 
once Aren't again. You, when you are when you because once money. again, okay, I'll tell you why. Because in that, the radio station is getting the benefit by being paid as an advertiser, whereas in sixty minutes. 60 Minutes is getting the benefit by having great talent. So why... I just don't understand this concept of why talent shouldn't be paid. Well, it's deceptive to the viewers because such payments are rarely, if ever, disclosed. But why should they be? On, 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 so, that, so that the audience can judge from themselves the truth and efficacy of the information that's being presented. <laughs> so I didn't on, embellish went my on, story. told her story. She didn't lie. She didn't... Uh, egg it on, but she told her story because she was getting paid for it, as she bloody well should. But we, we also it have does open... Of... Look, it, it, it's like a Vaseline. It, it's like a lubricant. It gets people talking. That's what checkbook journalism is. It, it gets people talking and telling their story where they otherwise wouldn't. As in Ben Cousins. Look, I'm not saying there aren't bad examples of it. Sure. Right? Yeah. But what I I'm also saying is that 90% of, of the cases of checkbook journalism, there's not a problem. It's just a transaction and it's it's getting good stories. 60 Minutes wants good story. And let me tell you, if Sunday night came back and started putting the checkbook out, Channel 9 would be reinstating 60 Minutes budget. At the moment, they've got no competitors. That's why they sure. can do it. But they might be minimising their talent budget. I guarantee you, if the right story's out there and they want it, that budget will be back open and they will be paying for a story. Oh, there'll be money found. Just to the same end, for example, if and, and and I'll just use your example, Sarah. You know, you said you flew yourself out for your mm-hmm. story. If they felt that your story was big enough, the amount that they either compensated you or paid in kind would have covered your airfares or paid for your airfares on top of the fee that they you know paid you in that context. It's the the, the challenge is that when you start to throw a, a dollar value into a story, um, it it does, as Brookie said, sort of cast aspersions, and I'm not suggesting it in Sarah's case, it casts aspersions around, you know, the, the the level of truth that we're getting delivered. Because as soon as, if I have two parties, as an example, in, um, in, in a story, say, hypothetically, Josh and uh, this woman that he was in a relationship with from 60 Minutes on Sunday night, if one of those parties got paid and the other didn't, who do I trust more in that scenario if one got paid and Okay, one well, didn't? Gary Riley, when he went on A Current Affair, did not get paid. So I mm-hmm. did. He did not. Um, and then sure. there was some contention because certain other cast members said, uh, told me to my face the only reason that they showed up. <laughs> certain others did, that's right, yes. <laughs> the, the only reason they showed up was because they got paid. Um, and they tried to claim mm. that they got paid significantly more than I did, um, which uh, mm. Tracy then shot down and said, no, they didn't, and I can't believe that they would say that to your face. Um, but, uh, I mean... <laughs> what a thing to be claim and be skyful of. Oh, oh I got paid crap, more than it? the actual victim, who I didn't protect. Name and but shame, the cast's not very big. Yeah, no. <laughs> doesn't this then boil it down to the fact that if nobody gets paid, then there's... No opportunity for people to suggest that they're of more value, more worth, or whatever, and the story still gets told. No, it doesn't. No. And no one else would have showed up if they weren't paid. Why not? Sarah may not have told her story. She, you're asking her to bear her style, put herself in the public eye with a very personal story that she's trying to get the hell over, and you want her to do that for free? Why should she not be paid? I, I just I, I can't fathom it, Mulk. I, I just Given... don't understand why the victim here should not be paid for telling her story. I, I, I genuinely do not get it. Because it's not always the victim that gets paid. That's but, the problem. 
Well, and some people can't validity. have rules but, you know, that say that only the victims get paid no, and the you perpetrators can't. don't. But one sure. I mean, they do have a rule that the criminals can't get paid. Yeah, you cannot yeah. profit from the proceedings of crime. But get your story done before you get convicted and... Happy days. I think there's small bits of validity. Like I'm sitting back and listening to all of you talk about this and like it's just down to the individual circumstance. Like there's absolutely times where a person being paid extra money feels because the nature of the work that they do that they have to up the ante on their story and sort of, you know, make it a little bit more sensationalised. There's people out there that'll be that'll that'll do their stories because they just want to see their name in the paper. Like there's just, just different levels in which journalism works. And I, I personally think for 60 Minutes... That's they're true. In a, they're in a really strange time at the moment. They're, and Ch- Channel 9 is as well, and all the television networks are, and that is that money needs to be cut from somewhere. And at the moment, Channel 60 Minutes is probably going to have to do some... Uh, how do you... Brookie, what's the term for um, journalism when you don't have a budget? Like, they have to do, like... Newspapers? You know. <laughs> journalism. <laughs> Truth-telling. Oh, I'm um, so stupid when I say stuff like that. But I, you don't understand what I'm talking about. 60 minutes are going to have to go and unearth stories that are interesting and still palatable to their audience. Now, and now they still do people, that. They don't pay for every story. Well, and sometimes people who you don't know, like, get paid sensationalise it because they're hoping that they will then get oh, more sure. later 100%. on and something out of it. For so just pay sure. someone up front and let them get it out. But, I mean, like, so in my case, exactly. they talked about people that went from $500 for certain people to appear and then the one person claiming that they got a hundred thousand dollars which was not me um <laughs> wow and which was uh like i held a little grudge and last the, the next time i saw tracy she was like he said what that was absolutely not true uh oh, so we're down to a he <laughs> oops it's <laughs> <laughs> only three male cast members account. um so you know it but you know and so it's like but and, and i was kind of a little pissed you know and then um but by mm. the way can i just say sarah what a piece of shit that later, cast member is. is. Not only are you... Well, that's a TV black vault. Yeah, I'm putting it already... in the black vault. Can you text me <laughs> um, under freak? the table? Sarah, <laughs> the what, table. I would, what I would say about that is you are there telling your story, which is a powerful story that saw a man eventually go to jail, and he's there trying to rub it in your face that he only came back to tell the story because he got paid and trying to make out that he got paid more than you. He is a piece of well, shit. Well, this was after the conviction. This was the day of the, the con- like, when they found him guilty oh, and wow. we all showed up. And so I had I'd been in Australia for two weeks. I'd flown home. I'd flown back again to wait for the verdict, um, which Ben McCormack told me over the phone because <laughs> he was there. Is wow. he in jail now? Um, no, he's, no he's not in jail. Um, yeah. uh, so, but we're all sitting there and, of course, there are certain cast members that I'm like, why the fuck are they here? It's not their story and they've thrown me under the bus for the whole time and my post is like, it's all right, they're only getting $500, it's just an arbitrary fee, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, this other person was like, well, you know, I just showed up because they gave me a hundred grand. And I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and what a courageous thing to do as well. Just sorry. What a courageous thing to do. Thanks. Well done. Absolutely, Sarah. You are amazing. All right. Could the Seven Network be looking to offload its expensive commitment to the now-delayed Tokyo Olympics? That's the somewhat surprising suggestion coming from the Sunday Telegraph, with a media report suggesting the Cash Trap Network was preparing to make the almost unthinkable move to dump the rights in an, in an unprecedented fire sale. The paper goes on to suggest the likely bidder for Olympic rights would be the 10 Network. Malt TV Blackbox's own Kevin Perry has doused water on this story, hasn't he? 
look, he really has uh, in in a in a good piece from Kevin. He, he you know contacted uh, the good people inside the Everly bunker, and they have come back and said that's not even close to what we think is happening. We're not doing that. That's not the case. Now, um, understandably, those deep with inside the Sunday Telly bunker are backing the journalist that wrote mm. the story and said that no, no, it's a thing. We've heard that this is what we know, and we've heard from high up. Um, certainly, the sources that Kevin has got. Um, they've suggested that, uh, and they look high up too, mm. that, that they're not getting rid of it, you know. So it's it's a little bit of a he said, she said in that scenario. On one hand, it would be, <laughs> this word has no meaning anymore, unprecedented. Precedented. <laughs> yeah, for, for Seven to, to offload the rights to the Olympics. However, they and none of us expected the Olympics to not be held. This year, and these are um, unprecedented times, Malt. That's <laughs> mate. What gravitas you bring to the podcast, Brookie? So great every week. Um, I, I mean, I, who knows what will happen? Clearly, mm. Seven has been cutting costs all over the place. They yes. want to sell off a large chunk of their production company, which I think makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. It makes no sense. That's just a cash grab. That's just a cash grab yep. because uh, owning uh, content is the future. Owning yes. content is the future, yeah, not necessarily absolutely. transmitting that content. Yeah. Also, selling off a large chunk of content, uh, particularly digital content, their magazine division. Mm. Olympics are ruinously expensive, and what has happened since the seven spent all that money purchasing the rights there's been an advertising collapse mm-hmm. so the olympics is going to be even harder to make revenue off this year or well into next year i can see that seven executives looking to try and service this ginormous debt that they have would have put the olympics under the microscope if not to sell off then certainly to look at how they can take costs out of that production. Absolutely. And the other part of that story was the suggestion that 10 were going to buy it from them. And yeah. that in itself is amazing because uh, what we're seeing at the moment is Viacom CBS, the owners of 10, absolutely compressing the budgets that 10 have and mm. them getting out of sport almost altogether. So why would they want to jump into bed with a multi-million dollar Olympics deal? And they no longer have a head of sport. All right. We reported some time ago that Sunrise EP Michael Pell was being groomed for a bigger role at Channel 7. Well, it looks like that is now actually happening. The Media Diary in The Australian reports Pell unexpectedly turned up at meetings to canvas new show ideas at 7 in the last fortnight. And it turns out Pell was given a new office at 7's corporate HQ at Everly in Sydney's Inner South, right next to 7's production boss, Andrew Backwell. That's in addition to his office at Seven's Martin Place Studios. Ben, Sunrise is kicking goals at the moment. This makes sense for Seven to use someone who's proving his worth, doesn't it? For such a long time as well. Like, it's not just like it's a fluke. You know, he's had some consistent uh, wins with his time at Channel 7. And I think he hasn't been shy about being ambitious and wanting to move forward. He's actually been in that Sunrise role for a lot longer than most people in an executive producer role of a morning show. And, you know, I think he just wants to branch out and see what else that he can do. It was interesting on the Ben Robin Robbo show today, we spoke to Mulk and I asked Mulk, you know, what's... What's Michael Pell's signature flair? You know, what are we going to expect to see in some of these other shows? Like, what is it that he brings? And obviously it has been in the news that uh, Michael Pell will host... Oh, sorry, not host. I nearly did it again. Produce. He's going to produce uh, the finale of Big Brother. And um, I said to Mark, you know, what do you think it's going to... What do you think it's going to... Actually, Mark, what did you say? What did you think he's going to bring? I said he'll have good production values. It will be very sharp mm. uh, and fast moving, and that we will see a production of pretty great value with not a whole budget, not a whole big budget. 
I think it's about time that Channel 7 did sort of look at his ambitions and, and try him in different fields. I think that they'd be so scared, though, because, you know, he's done a fantastic job with Sunrise and they'd be scared that those ratings would go away. Um, and right Seven are more concerned about prime time than breakfast, though. Breakfast is important, but prime time's where it's at. So yeah. if he can certainly pass some of his magic on to prime time. And the big the big challenge, to steal Mog's phrase there, the big challenge for Michael Pell is setting himself apart from Sunrise. So yeah. he inherited Sunrise from Adam Boland. He's done a great job with it. But the chance and the opportunity to go into prime time with his own shows and move away from the breakfast model would be very enticing and a great chance for him to prove himself, wouldn't it, Brookie? Yes, and he's already got a big run on the board. Don't forget the Firefight concert, yep. which I think was Seven's biggest show this year. Yeah, And that was a Michael Pell production. So I think that his bosses at Seven have seen that and thought more, please. Yeah, you've got mm. to pay attention to that stuff, right? Got it. All right, now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Survivor contestant Ross Clark Jones is suing the producers of Survivor over an accident that he says caused a debilitating injury. News.com.au reports Clark Jones is claiming damages for medical expenses and the loss of past and future earnings as a result of snapping his ankle. The case comes after TV Black Box revealed Nicole Prince from House Rules won a workers' compensation case against Channel 7 for psychological injury. Seven and Foxtel were due to deliver their second of four payments to the AFL at the end of May, but the absence of matches has meant this will not go ahead. The SMH reports, however, sources close to all parties said the payment could be made up in full or in part as part of a new broadcast rights contract, which may be signed as early as next week. And Sky News has announced former Australian ambassador to the United States, Joe Hockey, has been appointed Sky News US political contributor and will play a key on-air role during the channel's 2020 US election coverage. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you very much, Sarah. Will Big Brother be a hit or a flop? The panel will give their predictions in our big issue with Brookie. Plus, Ben is opening... The TV Black Vault, and he's going to reveal all the details about one of his stories from last week. Oh, settle in. TV Black Box will be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. These are real confessions. Saying I wanted to kill my mother since I was eight years old. From real serial killers. I've just got to be violent her. Best-selling true crime author Amanda Howard doesn't just talk about their crimes. She talks directly to them. It's all getting a bit much, really. It's the podcast that goes where others fear to tread. Monsters Who Murder. Serial Killer Confessions. Subscribe now in your favourite podcast feed. Malky, what's coming up in Binge Box this week? What do we have to be keeping an eye on? And I did hear you have a go at me, by the way. You said you gave TV, you gave the Ben Robin Robbo show a slap because we mm-hmm. dropped you last Monday. 
Yeah, well, look, if, ta- if, ta- if talent can no longer be fickle, what industry are we in? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm the least talented talent ever. Uh, yeah, look, this week on TV Binge Box, we have sat down and cast a, a long, slow, lazy eye over Warwick Thornton's The Beach, which aired its all six episodes back-to-back on Friday night uh, on SBS. It's now available on SBS On Demand. We've all seen it. You all need to see it and let us know what you think so we can talk about it together on Wednesday. Fabulous. All right, let's get into the big issue with Brookie. Thank you, Rob. I'm not prone to exaggerate, but Big Brother truly changed the face of television. The Dutch reality format debuted in 1999 and quickly became a phenomenon with the 24-7 filming of housemates confined in a house regarded as a unique social experiment by some people and a window on society by others. In 2000, on Channel 4, it took Britain by storm and much the same when we saw it in Australia one year later. That was on 10, which axed the show in 2008. Nine revived the series in 2012, won by our very own Ben Norris, and it lasted for two more years. Now, this year in 2020, very much at the behest of Seven's energetic chief executive, James Warburton, we've got one more week to go. TV Black Box has diligently covered every piece of breaking news, format change, casting leaks, and that unusual trailer. For us, Too Much Big Brother is barely enough. But tonight, I thought we would examine what is going to happen on Seven this year and work out whether we think it's going to be a hit or a miss. Some people think the show is going to bomb. Here's Mark Ritson writing in The Australian Today. To some degree, Big Brother has become a victim of its own success. It has spawned hundreds of reality dramas featuring much more dramatic, sensational and interesting storylines. Years ago, just watching a dozen Aussies locked up in a house 24-7 was fascinating stuff. Today, we want to see them abandoned on an island without any shelter with their ex-partners and Kylie Minogue and not enough food to survive. Is Big Brother big enough anymore? So it's going to start Monday, June 8, at 7.30pm, three nights a week for six weeks. There'll be 20 housemates aged from 19 to 62. Not celebrities so much, but it's definitely media achievers and influencers. It's also got an overwhelmingly white cast, and they're vying for the quarter of a million dollar prize money. Now, prediction time. We're going to go one by one through the black boxes who are going to tell us Ooh. when they first watched the series. I think I might have a jump on everyone there. We shall see. And then their prediction about Big Brother 2020. Is it going to be a hit or miss, even though none of us have seen it? Malk, you're up first. Do you have fond memories of Big Brother? And what is your level of interest this coming week? I was deeply, deeply addicted to the first series and the second series and the third series uh, and In maintained a fascination. surprises absolutely <laughs> no one. Uh, maintained a fascination through every subsequent series, though I can tell you the names from everything after probably season five blur into anonymity for me. Um, you know, okay. The first few seasons were characters that to me were normal but larger than life. And we got to meet and get to know some of the intimate inanities of these people. You know, Fitzy, Chrissy, Reggie, the whole crew. Love, love, loved it. Trevor. Sarah Marie. Um, Marty. Oh, Marty and Jess. You know, a love that lasted months. Um, it, it was, <laughs> they even got their own TV show out of it. Like insane levels of stuff. And the attention went there because it was so new and so incredible. I think that had Big Brother launched 
in the technology world that we have now, clean with no one knowing what it was like. Um, you know, live streams would be de-rigueur and all of the rest of it. Yeah. I think it really set the standard for reality television as, and is to blame for reality television. So as we level know it of now. interest now, yeah. Oh, look, the, the, the media hound no, with you, me, with you. The media hound within me is absolutely violently keen to see how this goes. I desperately want to see the first episode and probably the second. So um, oh, I am just the two. Underwhelmed by the casting. Ah. I just look at it and go, there is not that much in it. it like, it's the shallowest of shallow pools. So, so hit I've, or miss for you? Look, I think the ratings will be reasonable but not huge on the first night and taper very seriously into nights two and subsequent. I don't think it's going to be the hit seven want it to be. Rob, you are a television executive. Interestingly, Seven are making a big fuss about the fact that there are going to be fewer ad breaks in Big Brother mm -hmm. and fewer ads. Do you think this is good business sense? Uh, look, I think it makes smart sense if the advertising market's down and you're not filling it. So they're yeah. making a they're spinning a situation. And and Seven having well, actually, in fairness you know, to, to be them, fair, we have I was about Joe to say, in fairness to Seven, they have been going down this path for a few years now. So it's not just based on the current current climate, but that probably didn't hurt, right? Yeah. So, um, so there you go, Malky. Uh, there you go, Brookie. Um, what I would say is that. I think it's smart. That's, but people aren't going to watch a show based on the ad breaks or not. You know, like mm. it'll make it a better viewing experience because sure, you're not having to sit through so many turn ad breaks. Off a show because of the ad breaks. Yeah, that's certainly true, but not if they're really enjoying the show. Yeah. So, um, you so know, good brother, uh, for you, how long does this relationship go back? Uh, right to the very first episode on Channel Ten. So I was there and I was watching it, and I. Basically, was a big fan of the show until the season Carl and Jackie O took over. 2008. And yeah, and uh, may have waned a little bit before that, but um, in that season they changed the format and it just wasn't as enjoyable and I didn't like the characters. When it came back to Nine, I saw the promos and the promos specifically promised a new and diverse cast. Mm. And what I saw was not diverse. It, it really wasn't. And it was just white 20-somethings. And I liked the idea of there being older people, you know, a mixture of races, a mixture of ages where they can talk about different things. And so I didn't watch the Nine version. I dipped in and out and then I didn't watch any oh, subsequent series. Um, this, are you gonna, this year, Rob, are you going to be watching... Very good question, Brookie. Um, and yes, I will. I'm doing a podcast. I'm so excited about it. And uh, but you know, is we're that doing homework, or are you watching? For well, that pleasure? podcast, the Ion Big Brother podcast, started because I was so excited about this series mm. and coming back. I am waning, and yep. I'm getting worried about the fact that I'm waning. Um, the cast a week out, yes, yeah, I'd be worried. The cast is not inspiring me. I've been talking about Big Brother coming back since October. October last year. That was when we first started doing stories about the fact it was coming back. So maybe I fatigued myself. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm worried about the challenge every night and how that plays into the game because, you know what, some of the most interesting people are not going to be good at challenges, but that's why we have Survivor, you know. Mm. The thing I loved about Big Brother is that sometimes you had people who really pissed off the house but the viewers love them. 
And what's going to happen here with them eliminating the people is that with them deciding whoever doesn't win, whoever wins the challenges gets to nominate the people up for eviction and then the House votes, that means the House is going to become pretty bland straight away because they're going to get rid of anyone with an ounce of personality who they see as a threat. And mm, very political, whereas uh, the choice and the power's taken out of the viewer's hand. Interesting. Correct. One of those white 20-somethings you mentioned was our very own Ben Norris, mm. who won the Nine <laughs> Series in 2012. Ben, Seven are promising a radically different program this year. I get you have to keep refreshing formats, but are you going to welcome this Big Brother version from what you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm... I guess I have to say full disclosure, I've loved Big Brother, uh, which anyone listening to TV Black, Spock, TV Black Box would know that, you know. I've loved Big Brother. Yes, I was on a series, but uh, I watched every series except for one, which was the Kyle and Jackie O one, but that was because I was living overseas. And I probably would have watched it and loved it had I been here. Um, I'm fascinated by true stories. I'm fascinated by real people. And even though I am from the Nine series, I did much enjoy and grow up loving that channel 10 format and series one two three four five and six were brilliant pieces of television and i liked seeing real people have fights i liked watching real people fall in love and then the idea of what you know are we actually going to get people from different backgrounds talking to each other and discovering their differences or is it going to be one competition task after another well i think that it's going to be a competition based show it, is re- it really is. I think it's going to evolve into a very different format. I think it's going to piss off a lot of people. Uh, will it manage to excite enough new audience that maybe like Survivor into making this a rating success? You know, is the fact that it's alienated a core fan base that Alex Mavrodikas, who EP'd three seasons of the show, said is a 450,000 automatic audience? You know, have how many of those people have been turned off? I can't understand people saying that the cast is too white. You know, there is a little bit more. There's the most diverse Big Brother cast that's ever been in this country. Uh, so well, it's not saying much, though, is it? Well, look, I think when it comes to Big Brother, we need to sort of reinvent some of the casting. And the Garth, who's the LGBTI representative this season, we haven't seen someone uh, close to their 60s. um, No, I like that. I'm I'm a big fan of doing that, for sure. And Garth is a very different story to any LGBTI person there. We've got not one, but we've got two Asian people in the series. Uh, We've got two... Uh, okay, black people in the series. Okay, but look at MasterChef. You had like you got upwards of five. Yeah, I guess. Okay, but if you look at if you're trying to emulate what people see in the street, I mean, oh, Australia it's not is still a majority yeah. white nation, right? So if you've got two Asians and two black people, no, maybe not that these is days. I don't a think percentage. that's the case. Well, look, at the end of the day, it's a new format. It's starting on Channel Seven. I think that this show is like uh, someone bought an old. Um, like go-kart or whatever it is. What do they call those things that you used to build when you were a kid? A little um, – it was billy a billy cart. cart. It was like Big Brother coming back is like someone's bought someone's old billy cart and they bought it and they've got to go out on this 
journey and the wheel come off days one, day one and then by the time it got to the end of the street, I think it's all going to collapse and fall to the pe- fall to pieces. Oh. I think there's some <laughs> really... Well, hold on, are you, you saying hit or miss for Big Brother? Unfortunately, I'm going to love it and I might be the only one left in Australia that loves it. I'm going to love it the, all the way to the very end. But uh, knowing what I know and hearing some stuff in the last 24 hours, I think that Endemol and Seven have got something very big coming that's going to hurt this show and it's going to be very interesting to see if they can survive from that. Um, Ooh, intriguing. The, idea, the idea that this show was pre-recorded was a huge mistake and it's a huge mistake for many, many reasons and I think we're going to find that out over the next five weeks. I think the drama behind the scenes of Big Brother and getting this show up and running should have been filmed like Tiger King. <laughs> And wow. as the wheels came off and the disasters <laughs> exploded and people fought, had sex, were arrested and committed crimes, this show is going to go down in a big ball of flames. And not even that American comedian is going to be able to pop in and do a reunion special. <laughs> wow. Via Zoom. Via Zoom. Sarah, you are in the US where Big Brother is radically different to what we are used to in both Britain and Australia. From your perspective on your Florida houseboat, is this just another reality, tired reality format that shouldn't have been brought back? I think Australia will have a better chance with Big Brother because you're not saturated by these kind of shows. Mm. I mean, when Big Brother first started in Australia, you had real, uh, like, the... That MTV show, Real World, you had like this Jersey Shore. There's got uh, Fear Factor. I mean, there was like, there was 50 different types of shows, surreal life where people are living in a house together Mm. and doing the same thing. So here it was like, which one of those shows are you going to watch or are you going to watch all of them? And in Australia, you had Big Brother. So I think that that's why it did a lot better there and it was part of, you know, this huge phenomenon. Were you a fan in the early years? I was already gone for it, um, but I do really enjoy the Celebrity Big Brother out of the UK. So yes. good. Um, I love it. I don't like the US <laughs> format because every mm-hmm. single reality show, I always look at in Australia, it's all about like people are very kind and they're nice and, and the British one too, and it's fun to watch them slowly evolve into mm. um, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> um, the British one was on at 10 p.m. at night. No, yeah, and then they no have the after need show to be family friendly. Yeah, and then then and then there's um like Rylan and um the hot chick on afterwards. Yes, I love her. Um, and then they do the whole thing where they, they piece the, like, you know, pick it apart. Whereas the U S one, it's like, they come in guns blazing straight away, ready to fight because they're all trying to, you know, Mm. like I want to be the one, you know, who's the biggest bitch on the show because that's how you get, you know, Perez Hilton to write about you. And he was terrible on the UK version. Um, I was amazing. Car crash. He was, he was, (laughs) the most awful person I've ever seen and I don't know how he still is alive because they should have just flushed him. Um, anyway, but I think Austra- I think that people will watch the Australian one just because of the fact that, you know, it's there and people, w- people want to see whether it's going to be as horrible as it can be. So, okay, let's wrap it up. I'll give my verdict very quickly. I watched... Big Brother for the first time in September 2000 in the UK. I had no idea what I was watching. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe a show where seemingly three people were in a big uh, half-abandoned house talking for 
what seemed like hours on end. My astonishment was even further exacerbated when the next day the eviction of Melanie Hill was reported on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, which went to show that that uh, TV show had a hold over all levels of British society in a way the Australian one just didn't then and I don't think will this year. So I'm just not sure the times are going to suit Big Brother this year because we've all been through the coronavirus where we've been stuck at home for weeks on end. But now as the lockdowns ease, I just don't think that watching contestants cooped up in a house is the TV show that Australia is going to want. I don't think the times are going to suit Big Brother. It's not going to survive up against um, shows like The Voice and MasterChef. I just, it's not. No, you know the shit that we're what's, with, this. what's with Channel 7 as well? Every single time Channel 7 should be promoting something, it's like they bring out these shows and it's like someone who's farted in the room. They're like, oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> like, Well, a fascinating discussion, wow. everyone. We <laughs> Thanks, are Brookie. handing back to our Captain Robert McKnight. Thank you, Brookie. Uh, all right. Oh, what's that noise? Oh. Creek! I think we've just opened the TV black vault, and that means it's Benny Boy. Thanks, Mr. McKnight. Sounds like McDonald's, Mr. McKnight. Anyway, you might get your own I'm a bigger figure. brand. Are you? A bigger <laughs> Over a million served. <laughs> so he says, yeah. Uh, last week I said, uh, because people were writing to me saying that they um, uh, they were not happy with the segment because they didn't ever find anything out. Well, the one that got voted the most got over 50 comments that were sent to me with people saying they voted for number one, which is a TV network decided to release a statement to deny a massive rumour, but time was not their friend mm. because it was only a matter of time before all the little piggies would begin to squeal. And that, my friend, is a story that uh, uh, Rob McKnight broke uh, about the EVS not being turned on for Big Brother. Mm. Uh, that Seven came out and said that that mm. story was not true, was completely false, because I have now spoken to more than five housemates that were there for the reshooting yeah. of the eviction. So, And Ben, unfortunately, how long did that reshoot take? Well, look, it was five hours, and unfortunately they'd just been shooting this challenge that took the day. It was an expensive challenge that they had to go ahead with. And then once the housemates returned back to the house, where usually they would go to bed and they would recover, uh, they were then required to reshoot an eviction for five hours, and apparently they were all very exhausted while that was happening. I tell you what, the 7 News website's got a lot of credibility running the denial on that story and making me out to be a complete liar. Well done, 7 News. Credibility. Kabing. And we move into we move into this week's binge box. Sorry, this week's uh, what's it called again? Black, Black, Black Vault. Black Vault. TV Black this Vault. week's Black Creek. Vault. Uh, Creek. Uh, <laughs> which megastar? Sorry, which megastar host overheard the cast bitching about how crap they were as a host? Oh, 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 wow. Oh, wow. Apparently that host did storm off and was very upset about that. So, uh, <laughs> look, if that was me, I'd have a tantrum too. Uh, no, please, Jesus. everyone, can you please vote for that one? <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Which new face in TV has set the cat amongst the pigeons when it comes to an existing feud on a hit network show? Oh, gosh. Someone on Ben Homes and Guns. 
Wow. Number three, one primetime radio and TV star had a fire start in their home this week while taking part in a Zoom interview. <laughs> I want to, actually, that's the one I want to know. That's Gosh. the one I want to know. I want to know all these things. All well, right. next week, if you want to find out one of those three, hit me up on socials and uh, we will reveal, as we did with uh, last week's. And with Should that... Should people also vote in to know who which cast member claimed that they earned more than me on a card? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Drop it now, Sarah. Drop Gosh. it for those who have lasted the distance. Screw oh, my no, no, ones. No. no, no, I want people to guess. <laughs> all right. People guess. We are shutting the Black Bolt. And that brings us to the end of TV Black Box for another week. Don't forget, for more TV exclusives and all the gush you need to get you through your day, go to tvblackbox.com.au. The Ben, Robin Robbo Show streams into your social media feed each day at 1 o'clock, and it's also on Ticker TV. And TV Binge Box drops every Thursday, so keep an eye on that one. And don't forget, we've got our Eye on Big Brother podcast. That will go live at 8 o'clock in the TV Black Box and Ben, Robin Robbo social media feeds, and then we'll drop into your podcast feed. We're doing a lot here at TV Black Box. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Brookie. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Sarah. We will see you next week on TV Black Box. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.